So today we're studying the story of, of Jacob wrestling with God. And before we get to that story, there's, there's a story behind the story. Like any good all-star wrestling match, you know, there's the personalities that enter it, there's what has happened before and what might happen after. And so I want to give you some of the details and the background of the story behind the story of, of a few things that happened before this, and then I'll read from Genesis the story of Jacob wrestling with God, and then we'll get more into the sermon today. But here's the background. Jacob was born as a twin with his brother Esau. And Esau was the firstborn, and already at birth they were tussling because the name Yaakov, Jacob, means heel grabber. And they came out of the womb, and Jacob was trying to pull Esau back so Jacob could be first. And they called him the heel grabber. And after that, Jacob resorted to a life of tripping up people ever since. Esau was the firstborn, so he had the right to what they called the birthright, the the firstborn blessing that came to the firstborn son, even though God told their father Isaac that this really belonged to Jacob. That's an altogether different drama and story. But uh, Jacob ended up tricking his brother Esau to get Esau to agree to pass that off to Jacob, and then Jacob tricked his father Isaac, pretending to be Esau one time, but his father was going blind and deaf, and, and uh, he, his father actually activated, pushed the button for the birthright and blessing to go to Jacob instead of Esau. And then in uh, Genesis chapter 27, or 25, 25 verse 28, Esau says, I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob fled to Uncle Laban's ranch. And he ended up tricking Uncle Laban to get some of his daughters to marry him. And then he ended up tricking God, having children with mistresses instead of his wives when they weren't at a a season when they weren't able to have children. You get the picture? We have in Jacob... A manipulator of people and a strategic planner who ends up to be this proud, cocky trickster who knows how to woo people and use his wit to get his way, and it works. Well, nah. Actually, it, it didn't work. Jacob's life was empty. It was empty because back when they were young, the Bible in Genesis says that that their father loved Esau more than Jacob. And their mother loved Jacob more than Esau. And so Jacob grew up without a father's love. And then he left. He fled the home, so he left his mother's love. And he was looking for love in all the wrong places with different wives and different mistresses. And in the end, it didn't fulfill him whatsoever. Jacob did not have a full life. He had an empty life. C.S. Lewis says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
And here's the, the big lesson for this story today. I'm telling it to you even before I read the story. I'm giving it away. We find in Jacob wrestling with God, Jacob discovers that other world. Jacob discovers that his fulfillment and everything, his happiness and his joy and his eternal destiny does not depend on his wit, does not depend on him, him wooing people and winning them over. And the heel grabber becomes the God wrestler and discovers it right here. Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 32. The words will be on the screens, also printed in the worship folder, or you can follow along in your Bible. That night, Jacob was on his way now from Laban's house. He was actually now at the point of going to meet his brother Esau, his estranged brother. He took his two wives, his two female servants, those are his mistresses, his 11 sons he had with those four ladies, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, so he sends groups of people first to go meet Esau, then he sent all his possessions, then groups of possessions to go meet Esau. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, heel grabber, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be heel grabber. But Israel, God wrestler, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place face of God, Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is the word of God. And there's one more thing I need to tell you before this wrestling match happened. Just before it in chapter 32, we have, we have the Bible telling us that Jacob has decided to now leave Laban's house. He's on his way to meet his estranged brother, and, and he, has, he sees these camps of angels, and, and he has this prayer time with God, and i got to tell you that his prayer to God at this point in his life is radically different than his prayer to God after he fled home when he tricked his brother and his, his father and he fled home to Uncle Laban's house. He had a prayer time there too. If you remember the story, that was the stairway to heaven where angels were going up and down. And look at Jacob's prayer there. It's all about Jacob. It's all about the impetuous, cocky trickster who's telling God the way things ought to be. And now this prayer, just before the words I read you here in chapter 32, go home and look at it, is Jacob saying, God, how do you want things to be? I need your help. I'm not even worthy of all these blessings that you've given me. 
I'm going into this dangerous place. I wrestled with, Eth- with Esau when we were little, and now we're, we're going to wrestle again. And the stakes are higher, and it's going to be more dangerous, and I'm afraid for my life. God, be with me. I can't do this alone. And you have this in chapter 32. You're, is, God is unveiling through the scriptures this, this changing Jacob for us, this new Jacob that we're seeing. Not the heel grabber, but the God wrestler. Not, not the one who thought that he could just have this faith in God that belonged to his parents and their parents and their parents. But, but through it, God is, God is working in Jacob so that through all, his own personal encounter with the Holy One, Jacob's faith is growing and expanding. And, and that, this part, in, in, in detail earlier, details how Jacob sent his possessions and, and the people in his household forward across the river to meet, to meet Esau first. The strategic? Yes. J- had Jacob's name written all over it, but it was more out of wanting to let Esau know that, he, that Jacob wasn't coming to fight And he wasn't coming to claim a double share of the inheritance. He was actually coming to give gifts to Esau to to give away. He He wasn't coming to get. But in front of his mind was Esau. Would Esau greet him with closed fists and blood in his eyes and a sword in his pocket? Or would Esau greet him with love in his heart? and the open hands of an embrace and perhaps gifts of his own. Verses 24 and 25. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, Jacob has, has wrestled and struggled with Esau, with his father, with Laban. Who is this new wrestler? Who is this, this mysterious, unknown assailant who now enters the story? Is it Esau himself in the darkness of night? Is that who Jacob is wrestling? Is he wrestling with an angel? Who is this unknown antagonist? And... We shortly discover that this, uh, this turns out to be, to be God himself. And they grapple so tightly that you don't know who's making what move. They're in contention with each other in this wrestling match. We don't know who is winning. Why would it be that a mere mortal could somehow be in a position of being overpowering to God? And why would it be that God would somehow, to one of his children, appear to him as the opponent? This is a mysterious match. And those are good questions. Let's answer them in some ways. First of all, God appearing as an opponent, appearing as if he might be an enemy to Jacob, not true at all. If God wanted to end the wrestling match right now, he could use his pinky, snap Jacob's neck, do an NFL sack dance that makes J.J. Watt look like a two-year-old. But he doesn't do that. 
Remember the background that I told you about where Jacob is coming from? And the emptiness of his life? And why he was empty? Because Jacob's arms were full of idols. Jacob's life and his heart were full of interests that were not God. They were all about Jacob, all about wanting sex and romance and babies from different, different mothers and wives and mistresses. It was all about uh, uh, building up his 401k and building his own little kingdom. And it was all about Jacob. And now God is pulling those idols away. And he says, Jacob, this is going to hurt. In the darkness of your night, when you are groping on to your idols with fingers that will not let go, and you experience the pain and the difficulty of them disappearing from your life, that is God saying, I will not let you worship them. And there's something else here that makes God appear as an opponent. This, this wrestling match. Jacob is experiencing this, and, now, and, and he's changing his grip. In the midst of this wrestling match, he's letting go of his loves, of his idols, and he's seeking to grab onto God and grab him with all that he can. God, I will not let you go. And God says, I will not let you go either. And so you have this tussle, this wrestling match, this, they're kicking up dust, and it's real. And they're both hugging each other so tight and clinging to each other so tight and wanting to be near each other so much that you can't tell who's winning. Oh, I have this story I want to tell you. If you've ever seen the movie The Apostle, it's... Uh, anyone see that? Who's the, who's the lead character in that? I can picture him. Robert Duvall. Okay, so the apostle, this is about a preacher, a, a fiery preacher who is out of control and has a criminal record, and his name is Sonny. That's the character. Robert Duvall's name is uh, Sonny, and he's the, he's the apostle, the preacher. And there's a scene in this movie where he's in the apartment with his mom, and he is just, he's so upset, and he's walking around, and he's stomping the floor, and he's kicking over the furniture, and he's yelling, and he's screaming, and the phone rings, and it's the downstairs neighbor. And they're saying, what's going on up there? It sounds like you have a madman. And his mom, who answered the phone, says, oh, that's just Sonny. Ever since he was a little bitty boy, Sonny's been talking to the Lord. And sometimes Sonny talks to the Lord, and sometimes Sonny yells at the Lord, and tonight he's yelling at the Lord. I think there are some men here who yell more at a big screen TV and a sports bar than they yell at God. And I think there are some men here who when it comes to God wanting them to put up a fight in their life and be leaders, step back and withdraw. 
and there's no one else to lead. And then the ladies take over, and they do a good job, but it can be sad when men withdraw from leadership and from active fighting, spiritual warfare and leadership. I think there are some women here who spend so much of their time and energy demanding that their husbands change than depending on the promises of God. Or so much of their time and energy struggling in their own minds about drama at work or about wayward children that they don't have any energy left for grappling with God. And I know that there are teens and young adults here who have become so adept at communicating via Snapchat, who are, who are just so creative in communicating in their lives, and at the same time, they say, but I just can't communicate with God, I just don't feel close to Him. We need more sunnies. God, what he delights in, in in this scene and why he gives it to us in the scriptures is that God is a warrior. He doesn't want passive children. He doesn't want withdrawn followers. He doesn't want people sitting in the stands. And so he puts you in the game. And he says, we're going to tussle. Because I love you. Because I want more from you. And because I'm going to pull your idols from you. And it's going to hurt and it's going to be fun. God is a warrior. What's he fighting for when he's fighting Jacob? What's he fighting for when he's fighting you? You. So how does that make you fight? Because you're fighting someone who's not your enemy. That's a little weird. Maybe it's like fighting your brother when you're young. I don't know. God wants you to fight with him and and to grab with all your might onto his promises. And to take those and to hold on to them and to put them into your heart and to not let them go. And he knows when you fight for them, they're going to be more yours and more part of your life than if they're just written in a book or on a screen somewhere. Right? That personal encounter that he wanted from Jacob, he wants from you too. Um, Here's a quote from Martin Luther. When, when Luther was talking about wrestling with God in prayer, I rubbed God's ears with his promises. God, you said this, and so I'm going to ask you to do that. That's rubbing God's ears with his promises in prayer. Here's another way that Martin Luther said it. When his buddy Philip Melanchthon was sick and Martin Luther was praying for Philip, here's what, here's what Luther says. Now keep in mind, God's a fighter, he's a warrior. Here's Luther's words. I attacked God with his own weapons, quoting from Scripture all the promises that I could remember that prayers should be granted. 
and said that God must grant my prayer if I was to put my faith in his promises. <laughs> the Sonnies and the Martin Luthers of the world and the Jacobs of the world are showing you how to engage with God. Let's keep going. Verses, verse 26. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. This is, the, this is God. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. <laughs> I showed you the connection card before the service, that blue card, right? And you can put prayer requests on the back of that card. And those come to us, and sometimes for the, they're the whole group, and sometimes they're just for staff in our prayer circle. I'm going to reveal one now that's anonymous. You don't know who it is that came just to the staff and prayer circle. But it's one of these prayers. Listen to this. My daughter checked herself into a facility for depression. My son needs you, God. Don't hide from my kids. You are the light in the way. As a God wrestler. In my study for, for this sermon, I found a, a really neat quote by a man named Walter Wink, who wrote a book on prayer. And he says this, Biblical prayer is persistent and shameless. It is more like haggling in an outdoor bazaar than the polite monologues of the church. Maybe sometimes we're too polite in our prayers, especially on Sunday mornings. Maybe, maybe you want me running around kicking speakers and throwing over music stands when I pray on our behalf. That would feel odd, but just maybe. I think of Abraham's bargaining prayer when, when God had told him that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, those of you who know the story in your Bibles well, Abraham's bargaining prayer, but Lord, if there's only so many righteous people, okay, then I won't destroy it. All right, what about this? And Abraham's bargaining prayer, at first he just came to God, oh God, you're the best, I, you're, I, I, I'm so respectful of everything that you do, but can you do it differently? You think of Moses arguing with God when God said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and you're going to be the man to lead the Israelites out. I learned in Sunday school, at least I got this impression, that that was a sin for Moses to give all those excuses. I think he was wrestling with God. I found this um, prayer after a tsunami in, in my studies this week. Um, this is an excellent prayer book. It's called Prayer by Philip Yancey. And uh, it's in that book. Read that book. It'll change your prayer life forever. Um, it goes something like this. Similar to Luther's words. God, you, are, you control the universe and you are the maker of the weather. And you know that we live here, we people who love you, and our church is here, and we're trying to do good, and you overwhelmed us by this big wave, and now there's dead people, and there's struggling people, and you, God, you better take care of this mess, because you made it. Love your child. I want to pray more like that. And I want you to pray more like that. And God wants you to pray more like that. Now, this is, I, 
I, this might be new to you and feel awkward, so there's some questions we need to answer. These come from Philip Yancey in his prayer book. I'm going I'm to read to you from him. Here's, here's what he says. Why would God, the all-powerful ruler of the universe, resort to a style of relating to humans that seems like negotiation or haggling, to put it crudely? Does God require the exercise as part of our spiritual training regimen? Or is it possible that God relies on our outbursts as his window into the world or as an alarm that might trigger intervention? Like Abraham, I approached God at first in fear and trembling, only to learn that God wants me to stop groveling and start arguing. I dare not meekly accept the state of the world with all its injustice and unfairness. I must call God to account for God's own promises and come away changed. As I thought and prayed and prepared, I thought, you know, why don't I pray more to God like that? Like Sonny and like Luther. Like the tsunami prayer. Here's one piece of it. It, it feels like I'm threatening God. You know, putting conditions in front of him or threatening him. If you don't do this, then. And then I'm thinking, seriously? Do I think... That the God of the universe, the God who planned my salvation and calls me his child, is actually threatened by me? As if I could hurl thunderbolts God's way and he says, Oh, Darren's hurling thunderbolts. Look out, all you angels. God's not threatened by you. Not not in the least. He is eager to hold you as you are to hold him. He was as eager to hold Jacob as Jacob was to hold him. And even when you're close, don't worry, you're you're not going to make God afraid. Try it. See what happens from a good heart. So, God is going to meet you like he met Jacob in the darkness. God is going to grapple with you and wrestle with you and he wants you to be active and involved and engaged in this personal encounter with you and with God. And now we see it continue in verses 27 and 28. The man, this is God, asked him, that's Jacob, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, heel grabber. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Yisrael, Israel, God wrestler, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Even after Jacob insisted that God bless him, God doesn't get impatient or tell him to go away. God lingers. Mysteriously, lovingly, he stays so near to Jacob. And then he he gives him this new name. A new name, God wrestler, Yisrael. Literally, the Hebrew means struggler with God, God wrestler. You're no longer the heel grabber, Jacob. You're no longer the cocky trickster who needs to rely on wit and woo to get his way. Who who can put together the best tenure projection of strategic spreadsheets that anyone can put together and make it happen. Jacob, I'm telling you, stop relying on that stuff and rely more on me. You're no longer heel grabber. 
your God wrestler. And God had so patiently and painstakingly worked on him in God's school of mercy and grace. And it made Jacob a changed man. The heel grabber became the persistent wrestler who fought and struggled and wrestled in prayer. I said before that God is a fighter and he knows wrestling and he knows fighting. The Son of God is a fighter, wouldn't you say? Jesus is a fighter. He came to this earth to destroy the devil and his work. We, we know Jesus as a fighter most often by thinking of him as someone who is destroying our enemies. Sin, death, and the devil. Take that. Jesus is a fighter and a warrior, and he's my savior. But what about Jesus as a fighter who fights with you? And fights for you. And fights in you. And fights through you to change the world. Don't look for Jesus as your Savior just to do battle out there. Jesus wants to do, to, to do battle right here in your own life. And you're going to be wrestling with him. And he is not the enemy. He fights for you and fights with you and through you. What happens? When that, when that happens, God fights with you, you wrestle with God, things change. And one of the things that changed in Jacob is that after this wrestling match with God, he was freed from the fear of his brother Esau. He was freed from the terror that gripped him. What might happen? And he no longer concerned himself with what tomorrow would bring. He, he was okay with surprises because he knew God was fighting with him, for him, in him, through him. And when he met Esau, interesting words that Jacob said later in chapter 33. The Bible reports their reunions. And Jacob said, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Jacob couldn't say that had he not met God face to face the night before. You see that? Your relationship with God changes all of your other relationships in life, including the most broken, the most dramatic, the most difficult ones, and gives you freedom because you're related to God, and he, he fights for that. All right, the final verses, verses 30 and 31. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob's new disability indicated both defeat and victory. The defeat was that Jacob had come to a point in his growth of faith and his maturing with God, that Jacob was ready to crucify his old self, right? His sinful self. Jacob was ready for it to be done. You go now. You be drowned and you, you go away. Get away from me. Cursed be you, old self. 
And, and the victory was the new self, who didn't need to rely on all Jacob's capacities and strategies and skills and cockiness and courage, but even with a limp, became a powerful man, a powerful follower of God, relying on God and not himself. Jacob wrestled God and won because he grabbed onto and held onto God's promises for him. And so, that's where you want to be. I want you to be able to say, Lord, I am willing for whatever disability you have for me. Whatever pain comes with me believing in your promises, Lord, whatever loss comes my way, whatever handicap you have for me, as I believe in your promises, Lord, bring it on. Because I know you fight for me, and I rely on you and you alone. And Lord, I am willing to go to battle with you in prayer. And I am willing to open up my heart to you and to tell you what's really on my mind and to hear what you have for me, Lord, as we wrestle in prayer and I win. Although Jacob had a lot of things wrong with him and did a lot of wrong things and made a lot of mistakes, his, his namesake, Israel, means that uh, God made a nation out of him, a nation of believers, and it's for all of us who wrestle with God too. There's a pastor who's a chaplain in a recovery center, and uh, he went and made his visits the, uh, the morning, in, in the morning like he normally did, and, uh, and one of, the, one of the, the inpatients there was in tears. And, and said to the chaplain, uh, I don't know if God loves me anymore. And the chaplain asked why. And he said, I just feel terrible about where I'm at with him and where he is with me. Uh, all night, I was shaking my fist at God. I, I, I have to admit that I was angry with God. Why am I here? Why is this happening to me? And why am I not getting better? And nothing's happening, and I don't know if God loves me anymore, and I feel terrible for how I acted. And the chaplain asked, What's the opposite of love? The man thought for a minute and said, Well, hate. And the chaplain said, No, the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Chaplain said, there's a word for what you were doing all night, and that word is prayer. So tonight when you go to bed and you put your head on the pillow, I want you to pray some more. Because God loves to hear it. And he loves you too. In your prayer life and in your Christian life, wrestle with God. And you have the right to say to God, from a heart of faith, I will not let you go until you bless me. And I'm going to tell you what God will say. God will say to you, I won't let you go either. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, who are we to think that we could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you in, a, in any kind of match and overpower you in any way. And yet, you want us to do that and invite us through this story of Jacob.
Lord, all the people who are here today who, who are digesting this, this account of, of you and Jacob wrestling in the night, Lord, I, I ask that you help them to go away today with a new appreciation for, for their relationship with you and your love for them, for the fight that you are willing to take on in their own personal lives and hearts. Help them to identify the idols in their lives that they are holding on to and, and, and groping instead of grabbing onto you and your promises and then pull them away no matter how much pain it takes and lead them mercifully, lovingly through the dark night so that they wrestle with you and win. In Jesus' name, amen.